Growth point today is on humility, the secrets of growth in Christ. And it's Family Sunday, is what I was saying. And I wanted to start out this morning, I want to share a little story with our young people, because I want you guys to really understand this secret of growth that is humility. And it starts out like this. There was a kangaroo, and he was an Olympic champion, the fastest kangaroo in the world. Everything he did, he did exceptionally well. Right here, ma'am, we saved this one for you. He did that. I love you, Miss Kate. He did that. He did exceptionally well. He ran faster than anybody else. He jumped higher than anybody else because he's a kangaroo. He gets jumped higher than everybody else. Everything he did, he was exceptional at. But he wanted all the other animals to know just how exceptional he was. So he never missed an opportunity to make fun of the other animals that could not run as fast as he could or jump as high as he could. His favorite animal that he liked to pick on, guess what his favorite animal was to pick on? You're right, the penguin. <laughs> See, when everybody answers at the same time, it just kind of, penguin, yeah. He picked on the penguin. The little penguin, he couldn't jump. He can't really fly. They're, they're a flightless bird. When he, when he walks, he really kind of wobbles. And when he runs, he really wobbles. <laughs> Poor little penguin. That kangaroo never missed an opportunity to give the penguin a hard time. So then, the fox, the fox is the one who organized the races and the competitions, and he said, I'm setting up a race. And he said, and I got to tell you this right now, the penguin is the favorite for this race. All the other animals thought it was a joke, but the kangaroo really knew, yeah, this penguin, there's no way he's going to make it. So on the day of the race, the penguin, he was so discouraged, he didn't even want to go to the race. Because he knew he didn't have a chance, and he knew he was just going to be made fun of again by that kangaroo. But he showed up. You know why? Because it was tradition. On this day, all of the animals would race the race that the fox had set up. So the penguin went to the race, and he approached the group, and they followed the fox. They followed him up a mountain. And it took a while to get there, especially for the penguin, because he was just wobbling. Just wobbling. On the way up the mountain, the other animals were making jokes. How the penguin would get down the mountain. Was he just going to roll down like a log or slide down on his belly, hoping there'd be a little bit of dew maybe that he could, he could get the better of him? But when they reached the top of the mountain, a hush fell over all the animals who were making fun of the penguin. Because at the top of the mountain, turned out there was a giant crater. And that giant crater was filled with water. It was a lake. Yeah. At this point, the fox gave the starting signal. First one to the other side of the lake wins. On your mark, get set, go. Well, all the other animals are clumsily jumping into the water, and the penguin wobbles down, slides in. And wouldn't you know it, he was the first one to the other side. <laughs> Boom! I mean, he beat them all by a long shot. He stood there on the bank, waiting for his friend's kind of wobbling back and forth a little bit. And wouldn't you know it, the kangaroo that was great at everything came in last place. He's rolling in. He's paddling. He's kicking his big feet. His pouch is filled with water. He's just, he's not making it. He's not doing a good job at all. He shows up to the other side. He's tearful. He's humiliated. He's half drowned. Kangaroos really weren't meant for swimming. 
and he sees the penguin. And he just knows that the penguin is going to make fun of him when he gets out of the water. And the kangaroo climbs out and he's just, he's kind of pulling the water out of his pouch and wringing out his ears and wringing his tail out and the penguin wobbles over to him. And instead of making fun of him, the penguin had learned a lot about his suffering. And instead of making fun of the kangaroo, he said, hey, how about I teach you how to swim? You know, for the rest of the day, the animals enjoyed themselves playing in the lake. But the one who enjoyed himself the most was the fox. Because with his cleverness, he had managed to teach the kangaroo a valuable lesson in the secret of humility. And of course, the penguin helped to emphasize that secret by helping the kangaroo become the best swimmer of the bunch. Now, humility is something we need. Something we should have. But sometimes it seems just just out of grasp. There's a fine line between having accomplishments and, and living a fruitful life in humility. On many occasions, Jesus took the opportunity to tell others that they should be humble, to show others they should be humble. And unlike the kangaroo, not all of them would learn the secret of humility. And we're going to look at a few of these moments today. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you that as we're able to study a series on the secrets of growth, as we look to the parables that Jesus told, we're grateful that there's truth to them. We're grateful that there are things, when we hear it, that can change our lives, can change the way we treat ourselves, can change the way we treat others. I pray, Lord, that as we look at the secret of growth today that is humility, it is something that we will work hard to apply to our lives so that we can be a better reflection of you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. This morning we're going to start out in Luke chapter 14 verses 7 through 11. And I want to set this up. Jesus has been invited to a Pharisee's house to have a meal. And he notices something. So we'll start out Luke 14 in verse 7. And it goes like this, talking about Jesus. And he began speaking a parable to the invited guests when he noticed how they had been picking out the places of honor at the table saving, saving excuse me at the table for them here's what you need to know the way tables were set up back then they were, they were kind of in a, in a, a u shape or, or they usually had had some kind of a little shape to them and they were low tables people would lounge around each other they were they were kind of eating was a time of of meeting and fellowship and talking and passing things down from generation to generation but if you were throwing the dinner, if it was your house, and you invited people in, you got to choose who would get to sit where. And since it's your house, you would typically sit in the middle, and then your good friends would sit on one side, your maybe better friends would sit on another side, and as you, as you kind of go around the table, the farther you are away from the host, the it doesn't mean the host doesn't like you, okay? It, does, it just means you maybe aren't their best friend, but they like you a whole lot. You're, you're still one up from like an acquaintance because they let you in the house to eat the meal. All right. So that's kind of how things went. And so what Jesus notices here is that the guests are, are picking out their own places of honor at the table. Kind of like if you invite someone to your birthday party and you have in your mind where you want them to sit, but they all just start sitting wherever they want to anyway. So that's what's happening here. 
And Jesus says to them, verse 8, he says, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by them. And he who invited you both will come to you and say to you, Give your place to this man, and then in disgrace you will have to proceed to occupy the last place. By the way, in case you're wondering, the places of honor are in the very front row. <laughs> oh, you all, yeah, <laughs> you all in the back row, you're missing it. It's, it's these front two rows, that's the places of honor at this banquet, okay? Let me just throw that out. That's not biblical. I just made that up, okay? Doesn't say that. Whoever invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this man, and then in disgrace you proceed to occupy the last place. But when you are invited... He says, go and recline at the last place so that when the one who has invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will have honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you. He goes on to say, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And he also went on to say to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. Otherwise, they may also invite you in return that you and that will be your repayment. Kind of like a keeping up with the Joneses kind of thing. I'm going to invite all of you to my party, and then you're going to invite my family to your party. But the people who really need to be fed or need to be encouraged aren't at the party. And he's saying, no, don't do that. Instead, he says, when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. There's some principles of humility that I want to take a look at real quick. Uh, first off, if you're looking for a focal statement of what we just read, verse 11 is a good thing to underline in your Bible or highlight on your Bible app. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Let me just tell you, it's no fun being humbled. This was a favorite saying of Jesus. He encouraged people many times in his earthly ministry. He would encourage humility. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 12, he says, Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled. Whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. He also explains it very well in the parable about the Pharisee and the publican in Luke chapter 9, verses 14, or 9 through 14. Luke 14, I'll get it right. Luke 14, verses 9 through 14. He also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Ooh. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. So first off, he tells God, he's, he's thankful that he's not like these other common people, but then he even goes on to say, not only am I, am I thankful that I'm not like them, but just in case you missed it, Lord, I fast twice a week. I pray, I pay tithes all of all that I get. But then the tax collector, Jesus says, was standing some distance away. He was even unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, 
saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you this, man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be, say it with me, humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. I don't know if you picked up on our focal point for the day as we were singing, or as you were looking up here. But there are a couple different kinds of people that come in and out of a church. Some of us come in like the Pharisees. Some of us come in like the tax collector. My question for you this morning is, which one were you when you came in to worship this morning? Were you coming in, looking around, going, I'm so thankful I'm not like that person. I know the mistakes they made this week. I know the things they did. Maybe someone confided in you and secretly you're going, I'm so glad I'm not going through whatever it is that they're going through. Who are you today in our time of offering? Were you like the Pharisee? Were you paying tithes of all that you get? Or were you, were you giving something to God that maybe you haven't yet received financially out of faith and out of trust? When you worship, when you worship our awesome God, is your best worship you looking around the room reminding yourself who you're better than? Or are you this guy in the painting? Are you this guy? Maybe all you have to offer is yourself and, and maybe it's cracked and broken and not all complete and you don't have everything together. But you have a willingness to allow God to shape and continue to recreate you every time you mess up. You come with, a, with, a, with knowing how messed up you are, but you come with a willingness to allow God to mend you. All I can give you is me. Right here. This is it. How do you show up on a Sunday? To caveat that, how do you wake up on a Monday? Do you wake up like this still? Lord, this is all I have to offer you is me. Or do you wake up as you get ready for work and thankful that you're not like some of the people you're going into work with? See, the principle of humility was something that was remembered throughout the early church as well. It was taught by Paul. It was taught by James. It was taught by Peter. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, we were told, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. It's hard to do. It's easy to look around and be glad that I'm not one of you. Because you will never be as pretty as me. Oh, that wasn't supposed to be a joke. Thank you. Yeah, or, or humble, I'll tell you. But that's it. Don't look. We need to look at each other. We need to put others' interests before our own. James even said, Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. Peter wrote that we should clothe ourselves with humility toward one another. Warning us that God opposes the proud, but He will give grace to the humble. God's gift of grace to the humble is so much better than anything you will attain on your own with pride or arrogance. You see, it seems to me there's this, just this basic understanding 
when we're trying to obtain the kingdom of heaven, the only way for us to go up is we first must kneel down and live a life of humility. There's the principles of humility, and then there's a pathway to humility. And it's, it's easy to say, just kneel down and, and pray and do these things so you can walk a life of humility. But how do we get on that pathway to humility? The principle of humility may be very clear. We know what we should do, but for some reason it's not easy to find that path sometimes. We get, we get caught up with the world. We get sidetracked by things. We can't sometimes even find the path. We don't know where to begin. We don't know where the starting point is for humility sometimes. It's, we live in this world where nobody wants to be responsible for anything. I don't need accountability because it wasn't my fault to begin with. It was my parents' fault. I went with an easy illustration. I didn't want to get into some of the hard current events, but think about what you've seen on the news this week and think about how nobody wants to take responsibility for their actions. Politicians, police, community members. It's never anybody's fault. We live in a world where nobody wants to be responsible for anything. And here's a secret about humility for you. It starts with yourself. You can't blame others because you lack in humility. But you can know this, that God will silence the arrogant when the time comes. If you really want to understand the secrets of humility, the place to begin is within yourself. Between you and God and His Word. Away from the whirlwind and the rush of all the stuff that's going on, all of your busyness. If you want to find humility, sometimes you have to step back from your normal grind and take a moment and begin to find it. You need some times of uninterrupted quietness with God. So that through His Word, you can evaluate yourself. And when you evaluate yourself, you will find that in comparing yourself to those around the room or to the people in your office, you may very well indeed be very amazing. But when you slow down long enough to examine yourself against the Word of God, to examine yourself against Christ, we will find there is much that we should be humble about. In case you're wondering what you would have to be humble about, I thought I'd make a short list. Some things that should humble you. Your physical weakness. That should humble you. What? Yeah. Your physical weakness should humble you before the Lord. Let me tell you something. I don't care how fit you are. I don't care how physically fit you are. I, there's this new trend. It's called cross-training. They do things like burpees. It's where you do a push-up and you jump up and then you go back down and do a push-up. If I did a push-up, it would take me five minutes just to stand up. But they do these things called Superman push-ups, where as you do a push-up and you come up, you just stretch all the way out, and then you go back and do another push-up and push yourself up high enough. I know how that would look if I did it. It would not be pretty. And there are all these things about fitness and physicalness and, and all these nutritional things in our world. But i got to tell you, I don't care how physically fit you are. Or how many push-ups you can do. Because physically speaking, we're just dust. Eventually you will die. Eventually you will fade away, physically speaking. If that didn't get you into a frame, mind frame of humbleness or humility, maybe this will. Your mental limitations should also keep us humble. Some of you are like, well, there's the pot calling the kettle black. Your mental limitations should keep us humble. Listen, for centuries, 
our world. We've been collecting data and information, and, and we've been perfecting these methods of different things. We, operations that we do today are amazing compared to what we did 20 years ago or 30 years ago. Medicines that we have discovered, things we have learned. But the reality is this. If we took all of the knowledge of the world, all of it, worldwide, all of the knowledge from, from wise tales uh, of how to fix things to to factual all the knowledge of the world, and we somehow were able to box it up and put it into a a storage container, okay? First off, it would be a very large container. I get that. It would be a very large container. But the reality is this. It would still be an extremely small container when we compare it to all of what we don't know. I, I like what Will Rogers said. He said, we're all ignorant, just ignorant of different things. I can relate to that. You see, the littleness of our knowledge should keep us humble. If the true realities of our physical and our mental state aren't enough to keep us humble, maybe this one will help you to, to maintain some humility this week. Your moral weaknesses and failures should help you in humility. Now I'm just, what did they say, went from meddling to preaching or something like that? I'll tell you what nobody else wants to tell you. Every one of you in this room suffers from some kind of a moral weakness. It's a fact. We all suffer from some kind of moral weakness. What tempts me may not be a temptation to you. What you struggle with, I may have no issues with. But it's clear that as a culture, as a world, our morality is slipping away. Now, I don't share these things this morning to, to break you down or to make you feel bad or to make you... I don't want you to walk out of church going, I felt like I said I was immoral and I'm worthless. That's not the point. I don't want you to feel less than average in your relationship with God. It's just that we are coming to a place in our society where we need to understand the power of an honest self-examination that will bring us face to face with ourselves so we can see just how little we truly are in the sight of God. So that we can humble ourselves before the Lord, before our Creator who created us in His image. So that we can do what we need to do and remove what we need to remove from our lives in order to be a better reflection of Him. And it's that thought that brings us to the pattern of humility. The best part about sewing anything. Do I have any seamstress? Any, any people, sewers? Just me and Miss Kate. All right, Miss Light. Couple, don't be modest. This is not a time for humility. If you sew, raise your hand and be proud. Okay, thank you, thank you. All right, I've dabbled in sewing. I took home economics because I always said I would never get married. And in home economics, we had two. My wife is glad I took home economics because I can sew buttons on my own pants. I make good dinners. She found a keeper. For those things, anyways. (laughs) But home economics, I remember the first time I learned to sew. The best part about it, because because everybody was freaking out, oh, we got to sew something. They gave you everything you need. Here's the pattern. I made a football. It was great. I had the pattern. And it's simple. You cut out the pattern. And you lay it on your fabric. And you put little pins in it. And you, you cut around that. And once you get all your little pieces out, then you put them together in a reverse order, which worked really well for me because I'm dyslexic. And so I thought I was doing it right anyways. <laughs> and you sew it all together, okay? 
And then you turn it inside out. It was amazing. I made a football. I made a pair of shorts. I made some of my own clothes for a while. They wouldn't let me wear them at school. (laughs) But I had a pattern for everything I did. Sewing was easy when I had a pattern. And there's big black lines on the things you don't cut. There's dotted lines where maybe you're going to put in a zipper or something else later. And there's just all this stuff. And it was so easy. I'm walking out of the home. I got like this, this huge stuff football. My buddies are laughing at me. And the girls are like, dude, you made a football. I'm like, yeah, I'll make you one. You know, <laughs> It was cool. If only we had a pattern to follow for humility. Yeah. Oh, wait, we do. We have a pattern of humility. You see, when we take time to examine ourselves next to the pattern of Christ... The marked difference, yeah, for a moment it's going to bring guilt and grief, and and that's a good thing. As we look at Christ, we should wonder, oh, I'm so messed up. Thankfully, though, Jesus is a pattern of humility that we can follow. I think it's interesting, Jesus is at this dinner, and he's talking about the best seat in the house with the audience of the Pharisees, who all of them think that they're better than everyone, and even the people they've invited think they're better than everyone, and it's just a house full. I don't, I don't know how he did it, but he's in there, and he's got this audience, and he tells this story about humility, okay? And it's early in his ministry. And then we come to, the next, to another place in his ministry later. Well, it's the night that he was betrayed. The, the Passover meal. Do you know what happened there? Don't say the Lord's Supper, because that may have been the start. His disciples were talking about places of honor. His disciples, who most likely were somewhere in this audience, are at this point talking about who the best one of them is. Jesus is in his last hours, and his disciples, like the Pharisees, are scrambling for the seats of distinction. Now, obviously, I'm giving you my own version on this account. You can read about it in Luke chapter 22. But it's the Passover meal. And they're arguing about who is the greatest among them. And Jesus says to them, for which is the greater one? One who sits at the table or one who serves? Is it not the one who sits at the table? But he goes on, he says, but I am among you as one who serves. And then Jesus got up, took off his clothes, wrapped a towel around himself, just like a slave would do, and one by one he washes their feet. Almost as if to say, I've already told you this once. We were in the house with the Pharisees, and I had this conversation, I told this story, and then here we are, and you're you're arguing about who is greater among you. And so he showed them who the greatest was. And they sat there, I can only imagine dumbfounded and somewhat disgraced, except for Peter. No, Lord, don't just wash my feet. Wash all of me. No, just sit down. (laughs) Not believing that they could have acted so arrogantly and selfishly. They're just sitting there. And then Jesus says to them, towel wrapped around him, Now, do as I have done for you. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the King, the Prince of Glory, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, wash their feet. 
while they argued about who was going to sit at the right hand. Now we read, we read through the beginnings of the church, and this is what I'm excited about here. When we read about the beginnings of the church, when we follow the disciples' lives and where they went and how they lived and what they did, we see that this was a lesson in love and service and humility that they would never forget. Because when you follow the disciples, when you follow the early church, people in Jesus' day would have never thought a man who pushed himself towards success would ever be brought down to a lower level. They just couldn't see it. They would have never thought that a man who would lower himself in the end would be victorious. But when you follow the lives of the disciples and you see some of the letters that were written, you see the way that they gave up their lives when they could have exalted themselves. It's unfortunate, I think, fewer people believe in humility today than back then. But Jesus taught us differently. And what he taught us, he lived. And he passed it on to others. And when he came into the world, from the very beginning, he he came with humility. He slept in a manger. He slept in a feeding trough for barn animals as a baby. And when he died for your sins and for mine, he reclined on a cross. Neither at his birth or at his death could our Savior find a more lowly place to be. They even laid him in a borrowed tomb. His life began in a borrowed bed, and for a moment it ended in a borrowed tomb. But he didn't stay there, because three days later, our humble earthly servant Lord rose from the dead as our Savior. And soon after, he took his rightful place at the right hand of the Father in heaven. He humbled himself and was exalted by God. He lived humbly. He loved often. And, and he, was the, he was given the ultimate seat of honor when he came to his Father. That's good news for him. It's good news for us. Because he said he's, re- he's preparing a place for us to join him. It's funny to me that in a, in a church building we are so quick to grab a seat. We're so quick to claim a place. This is where I sit. We make our own seats of honor. And they may not necessarily be seats. You may think, well, I sit in every other... I move around every week. That's awesome. Sometimes our seats of honor are things like carpet colors and paint on the wall and We've always done it this way. Maybe that's your seat of honor that you've chosen to sit on. Brothers and sisters, it's time to give up our seats of honor and simply honor God with our lives in humility. Are you ready to do that? Are you ready, maybe for the first time, to give up your seat of self-honor and submit to Christ in baptism? Maybe you just need some direction and, and prayer and refocus on your life. The elders are here. They would love to pray with you. But whatever you may be thinking about right now, whatever your response is, will you stand and sing with us and respond to God's word accordingly with humility? Well, as I always say, it's great to be here, especially when people say, hey, I want some of that too. I love that. That gets me cranked up. It's been great to worship with you all, just to be around you encourages me but now it's time to go so as you go this morning i want you to think about how you'll go from this place will you go like the kangaroo full of pride and arrogance making sure that everyone around you this week is aware of your presence and aware of how much better you are than them at whatever it is that's going on 
Or will you go like the penguin? Knowing what your strengths are, rather than gloating about them, will you choose to take the time to encourage others in their weaknesses? Because as we learned from the life of Christ today, serving others and putting their needs above your own is a secret of humility. Will you sing this last song with us?